Welcome to the Westminster Effects Oxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff, westminstereffects.com, and make sure you join in the discussion at the Westminster Effects Oxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can also support the show at anchor.fm. There's a link in the show notes, and make sure you subscribe, comment, all that good stuff on Facebook and Instagram. And remember the shares on Facebook, the reposts on Instagram, the comments and the quotes and all that kind of stuff gets you entered to win a free book, which will be announced here shortly. I am joined in person by... Hey folks, Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Good to be back with you. Yes, uh, after a week-long absence. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, though... Uh, we do have the void, usually known as John Ross from uh, Sexy Boat Captain and Grumpy Church Nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. But you were out of town for why, why are you out of town? Just a little getaway with my wife, a little late birthday celebration for her. We went to the mountains. That's one of our favorite things to do. Yeah, no, nobody's gonna hold that against you. Yeah, unless yeah. unless they're a douche. Yes. <laughs> Can we say that? <laughs> we just did. <laughs> if you're going to hold that against Bradley, then shame on you. Um, so uh, I guess to really quickly shift gears, as as we said before, we like our topics like we like our music, or at least I like my music, which is heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Closest thing I can come to is coffee with that. Yeah, right? and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but we had a follow-up question to the last couple episodes that you were on. Mm-hmm. Of uh, You had uh, a former mentor pass away, and we talked in the second episode. Uh, there was some distance put between you mm-hmm. and him uh, because of doctrine and stuff like that. And uh, so kind of the follow-up, which is still, I think, tangential to the topic, is, well, what about abuse not just disagreements but how do you come back from an abusive situation in the church and and we're thinking all forms of abuse here spiritual emotional physical sexual uh you know the ravi zacharias uh situation that's been in the headlines comes to mind um but if someone has been legitimately burned not not just I had a tiffle with somebody in the kids' ministry, but there was some kind of legitimate abuse. Uh, and maybe we even need to find terms there. I don't know. Um, what do we do with that? Well, let me clarify the question. Are we, are we asking how does the abused reconcile with the abuser or with the church where they were abused? Mm -hmm. Is that what we're asking? I I think there's a little bit of everything that could happen within this question because some forms of abuse don't necessarily uh, mean that you have to cut ties, right? Right. And and John John Piper has has, uh, rankled some people uh, with some of his comments about marital abuse, like if, if a husband slaps his wife that's not necessarily grounds for divorce, particularly if he's repentant, mm. right? Yeah. Um, where where a lot of people just kind of freaked out about that. <laughs> and I get that. I mean, it, you know, it, 
we obviously need to be very, very sensitive to physical abuse. Absolutely. uh, Husband to a wife. Um, But, you know, I think I think the heart of what Piper said there is the same thing I would say about adultery. Yeah. Does the Bible permit permit divorce on the grounds of adultery? I would say, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have to get divorced. Right. It, the restoration is possible. I mean, if we if we believe the gospel, the gospel is you know God Himself is the great restorer. Mm-hmm. He's the great reconciler, and so it's possible for the Lord to bring about healing and restoration in the worst of circumstances and yep. deliverance in the worst of circumstances. Um, so that's where I would agree with Piper um, in terms of. You know, if we're going to look at it maybe first from the standpoint of someone who's been abused by, you know, there's just so many different um, veins of this, isn't there? It's like, yeah. how do you summarize this? If if someone is has been abused in a church, how do you come back from that? Um, it's tough. Yeah. You know, I, Resurrection Church um, is... And actually, the, the the mentor that we talked about in the previous episodes, mm-hmm. years and years ago, when I first came here, um, I was at a pastor's gathering that he was leading, and he was praying over Mary and I, and he said to me, he said, I feel like the Lord is going to send you a lot of hurting people, mm. and your church is going to be a place where, healing people, where hurting people find healing. Right. And I, I'm telling you, you know, and I don't know. I'm sure among our listening audience, there's a wide variety of feelings and opinions about "quote unquote" words from the Lord. But if ever a word from God had come has come true in my life, it's been that one. Res mm-hmm. Church is full of people who have been hurt by hurt in church. Yeah, hurt by yeah. people or by leaders in church. It happens all the time people come here for healing and um what have i seen in that what what what's it take what what does it take for people to be restored and and regain confidence in being a part of a local church because a lot of times they come in and they're hesitant to even get involved right i just want to sit on the back row i don't really want to get to know anybody because they've got all these defense mechanisms Mm -hmm. up and 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 i get that I do get it. I, get I totally it. get it. You know, we I had a, a lady who came here who just was so betrayed. She had gotten involved in leadership in a previous church, and the leadership had just undercut her, betrayed her, lied to her, made promises to her, and then cut her legs out from under her in front of the congregation. It was just mm. brutal what she had been through. And when they came, um, I sensed sort of this, like, trying to keep us at arm's length. Right. Uh, And as we got to know them and some trust was built, the story came out, and they just needed time. Yeah. They needed time to worship again. Mm -hmm. They needed time to get into the Word with a community of believers. Um, They needed time to just serve without being in leadership yep. uh, and over the course of time, there's healing that takes place when, you know, they're in a church that's healthy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I, so gosh, how do I advise people in this? I, 
I think that one of the first questions you have to ask is, um, am I in a healthy church? And we've talked about that in previous episodes. Yeah. Am I in a worshiping community where there is enough of a solid foundation and enough of a sense of spiritual health in the community that I have room to heal? Right. There's there's a space for me to heal. Um, do I trust the leadership to guide me through that? Because um, I think that's a that's a big part of what pastoring is about, is that you're helping hurting people heal. You're being used by God to help hurting people heal. And so, um, uh, it's, it's, it, uh, you know, I, f- I feel like I'm dancing around the topic, but it's not, there's not an easy bullseye here. Right. It's, it's not cut and dry for every single situation. No, like there, there's, there has to be some discernment involved. Yes. And, in, in really every, every single situation. Yeah. And I think if you're going to be, it, it, you know, maybe, Shifting gears slightly, if you're in leadership in a local church and you're concerned about people being able to heal from church abuse and other things, abuse by church leaders and what have you, um, you're you're not going to be able to programatize that, right? You're you're gonna. It's like what we were talking the conversation we had before we started the podcast about evangelism. Uh, one of the things we talked about is that you've got to take a people approach, not a project approach. People aren't projects. People are people and people are complex and their emotions are complex. And you have to be willing sometimes to take a long journey with people to heal. Um, And if if you're going to do, if you're going to be the type of leader that walks with people through healing from church abuse, it's, I think you got to gear up in many cases for a long process, a longish process at least of prayer of rehearsing the gospel, of depending on the Holy Spirit to do some healing work in people's souls as they rebuild confidence in being a part of a local church. And, I mean, we've kind of touched on this, but this is going to be messy regardless. It's so messy, man. Whether whether you're walking through it yourself or whether you're walking through it with someone else, um, there's going to be uh, emotions that pop up that people thought they had dealt with. Right yeah. there, there's going to be even emotions people didn't even realize that they had, mm. <laughs> right? Yep. Where where they they could just feel hurt, and then six months down the road at a different church, well now they're angry yeah. about it now that they've processed it, and they have to deal with that before it turns into bitterness, right? I'll give you an example, and it's not apples to apples, but it's close. Yeah. Um. I had a conversation with someone a couple of months ago, and this person does not go to my church. They don't live in this state. But this person, his wife, um, about three years into their marriage, began a seven-year affair. Mm. Seven years yep. of yep. adult decisions to betray your husband and... Seven years into it is when he found out. Right. And that's a long story. It's very complex. Mm -hmm. But I have offered help and prayer and support to this person. And he has been, this is a person that I do have a relational basis with. All right. It's not some random person. It's somebody that there's, there should be enough enough of a relational foundation that my offer would not seem strange to him. Yeah. 
but I felt him keeping me at arm's length. And finally, a couple of months ago, the answer came as to why. And he said to me, he said, Bradley, I don't trust men. Mm. I don't trust mm. people. He said, I, the, the, one of the side effects, if that's even the right way to describe it, of this seven-year affair that his wife had. Uh, and, and, and I'll say this. She's repentant. Uh, she has been, because you know, this came out 10 years ago. Right. Um, she's been repentant. She's been, she has a strong desire to reconcile with him. Uh, it's a long story. People are, I know people are wondering, well, why is it just now coming out? It's a whole long story. And I'm not going to get into it, but she's, she desires to repent, but he's, he's struggled with that. And he's, I don't know, just navigating all these complex wounds that come from being betrayed for seven years. Yeah. You know, at the risk of some people criticizing me on this i mean it'd been one thing if she'd had a one-night stand right but a seven-year affair that yeah. that that is a, a form of abuse it's and, abusing and when you trust. when you start it three years into a marriage and it comes out seven years later that's 70 percent of the marriage at that point it's exactly right and he just said to me i don't trust you and it's not because and it, and it was such an honest statement such a vulnerable raw statement i wasn't offended by that at all right because i haven't done anything to betray his trust but i am a man standing in front of him and Mm -hmm. he doesn't trust other men because of what happened with his wife and so you you compare that with a lot of church abuse depending on the type of abuse and who 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 abused the person they may not trust leadership yeah they may not trust being in community they may not trust the the ministry of the church mm-hmm. in terms of teaching maybe they maybe they were taught something for years and years and years and it suddenly became clear to them that's wrong yeah i've i've heard several uh i've seen several youtube videos of people who had been in uh like a celebrity church mm-hmm. effectively and how Mm, how to put it? it it's almost like cult-like yeah. where, where they expected you on top of your regular 40 hour a week job to put in another 20 30 or even 40 hours at the church mm-hmm. uh with no benefit other than you're working at the church and running yourself into the ground mm-hmm. and e- even to the point where some of these have have leaders who you don't speak to them unless he speaks to you first. Yep, yep. Um, where that is absolutely abusive, even if they don't feel like it <laughs> at the time. Uh, but it's but you hear those people's stories and how run down they get, and even mm-hmm. sometimes how tired they still sound even years later. Right. Yep, yep. You know, I have another friend who, um, and and the reason I say this is not apples to apples, but it's close. Is that being a part of a worshiping community, if you are thinking well about that, thinking biblically, um, it is like a marriage. Yeah. There, there is covenant involved. Right. And it's not just find a church that scratches all my itches. You, you are committing yourself mm-hmm. uh, to a group of fellow worshipers. And when there's abuse and betrayal and, and lies and disappointments and unmet expectations that go along with that, the wounds coming out of that are similar to the wounds of marriage betrayal. Right. 
Um, I have another friend whose wife has cheated on him three different times in their marriage. And mm. this guy's been married a long, 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 long time. And he's still married to her. Mm-hmm. And I asked him one time, I said, um, how in the world did you come overcome that? And, and still, because I'm going to tell you something, this guy is not just cohabitating with his wife who's cheated on him three times. He genuinely loves her. He has genuine glad hearted affection for her. Right. And he he cares for her and treasures her in a way that you would think that after all the decades they've been married, they've just had this storybook storybook marriage. They haven't. <laughs> yeah. And I asked him, how in the world is that possible? And he said, I had to grieve the marriage I wanted and embrace through dependence on Christ the mm. marriage that I have. Yeah. And I thought, that's 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 so gospel, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think you know, we have to realize that the church is made up of imperfect people. Mm-hmm. But God is doing his perfect work in this group of imperfect people that we are in covenant with. Right. And I've said many times before, you do ministry long enough, you do church long enough, you're going to bleed. Yep. Like that it's going to happen. Um and the question is what what's at the what's at the, your foundation biblically, theologically, in your personal relationship with God that's going to help you overcome that. Well, you know, I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. I know I've mentioned it in a sermon not that long ago, but C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, mm-hmm. where uh, Screwtape is mentoring a, a young demon named Wormwood yep. about uh, Wormwood has been assigned, they call uh, a human, they call the patient, and mm-hmm. Wormwood's job is to keep the patient from converting to Christianity. Well, early in the story, um, the patient converts. Right. And Wormwood is just distraught. And Screwtape set, writes to Wormwood and says, look, all is not lost. And I'm paraphrasing because now he's going to get involved in the church. Right, right, right. And he said to Wormwood, the church doesn't or, – or, the patient doesn't see the church like we do with all of its banners and it like a mighty army. Uh, the, the, when the patient goes to church, he sits next to people who sing off key and have dirty shoes. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he said to, to the patient, the church looks like this half baked Gothic sham <laughs> from our perspective. Right. right? We, right. we don't see we're not we're not experiencing the end product of the bride of Christ mm-hmm. washed and clean and pure and whole. Yep. Like like Christ sees us or God sees us as a finished work. We're still in process. And so in that process, people are going to get hurt sometimes. And I think we have to have enough of a biblical foundation for where we're going and our confidence in God ultimately. Yeah. Because he's the one who brings about all of the growth in the first place. That's exactly right. Um, so let's shift gears briefly. Uh, we usually think about church abuse as leaders abusing their people. Yeah. So what about leaders who are abused by their churches, which may like the, the leaders abusing the church, like there's all kinds of headlines about that, and and there should be mm-hmm. like there needs to be public accountability. Yep. And um and you know most of the time those guys shouldn't get another job in the church. Mm. Um, but what about when the church abuses its leaders? Like 
every single week there's going to be a couple people who it's it's not just well what do you do with in your sermon it's mm. well you were wrong a b c d mm. <laughs> right and and all manner of of uh perceived corrections we could say right <laughs> or or the the people who just want to gossip and slander and whatever you know if 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 the pastor's kid looks at him funny well he's apparently not doing a very good job managing his household and mm-hmm. therefore he's not qualified and you know th- these kinds of things really do happen in unhealthy churches so what do we do with that how do leaders recover they happen in healthy churches also that yeah <laughs> i mean yeah yeah uh, i i've got several scars yeah you know the first church i worked in but because you're like you just said if you're in church or ministry you're going to bleed you're going to bleed uh, i mean the first church i worked in uh, I had a dad that tried to fight me, a uh, dad of a student in the oh, youth nice. group I was uh, ministering in. Um, when I came here to Res, when I first got here, uh, there was a lady that caught me coming out of one of our one of our buildings here one day, and and I hadn't been here that long, um, but I was starting to change some things, and she got right up in my face with a look that I. I can't even describe to you how horrible it was. And she said, we don't want you here. Mm -hmm. Just go. And at that point I was, I I, I don't, I'm not saying I responded in the best way, but I just looked at her and said, well, I'm not going anywhere (laughs) and just stared at her. Like, you know, it was almost like a stare down. Um, But I, and I could go on and on and on about stories of, of just, People talking behind my back, people criticizing me. You know, I, I make I make what I feel like is a, a genuine effort to care for someone, and it's not enough. And then they 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 talk to others about how inadequate I am as a pastor. And I think I think as a church leader, there is a sense that you you are so all in emotionally and spiritually it's like pastor bar the the pastor who retired here um just a couple of years ago he told me early on he said you're always going to want more for people than they want for themselves right and that that statement doesn't solve anything but it did sort of give me a okay at least i know what i'm in for right and there's some perspective and i think jesus went through that mm-hmm. right I mean, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem after the triumphal entry, and he he he's 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 you know looking at this city, and he's looking at 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 the people of Israel, and he's going, "How long? How I've longed to gather you like a hen, right. you right. would gather her chicks." And and you know, it's just I think that you know I think the reason that I've talked about this before, and some people might challenge me on this, but you know. The reason Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb, I don't think was personal grief, and I don't think it was empathy. Mm-hmm. The word that um, John uses to describe Jesus's emotion is a word that means agitated, disturbed, mm-hmm. upset, and I think what he was upset about was the way his motives were being questioned because. What what John tells us is that when he got word that Lazarus was sick, he waited for Lazarus to die. He said he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he waited. Right. 
And he waited long enough for Lazarus to die. And when he got there, Martha comes running out and says, Lord, if you had been here, Mm -hmm. then Mary's right on her heels going, Lord, if you had been here. And then he gets to the tomb and the mourners that are gathered say, see how he loved him. Could he who opened the blind eyes not have saved this man from death? Mm -hmm. And And, and you even have the King James, he stinketh. He stinketh. (laughs) And then, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he wept because what he was doing was what the father wanted. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead, right? Right. He was not going to leave him in that tomb. And so I don't think he's crying personal grief tears. And because John describes his emotion as being agitated, I think he cries because his motives are being questioned. I think his in his humanity, mm-hmm. he's feeling the emotion. And I, I can't be dogmatic about that. Some people might say, Bradley, you're taking that too far. Granted, maybe I am. But I think Jesus experienced what it's like to be, I'm not dumbing him down to a leader, but to be leading, to be ministering, to be right. you know, serving people. And, and the only guy to ever do it perfectly. <laughs> was him, and he was often misunderstood. And was he abused? Yeah, he was abused. They kind of killed him. They reviled him, <laughs> and then they killed him, right? Yeah. So it's it's... As a leader, I think, you know, what What does Hebrews say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Right. That's our, that that is the only solution at the end of the day. Because if you're, if you, if you're a leader in a church and your mindset is, or your hope is, I'm going to get enough affirmation to balance out the abuse. You're mm-hmm. fooling yourself. Right. Because there there are some things that could be spoken to you, about you. There are things that could be done to undermine and undercut yep. you that no amount of affirmation, no amount of applause... No amount of amens from the congregation are ever going to make up for. Well, even like humans like to voice their negative emotions. Like you look at any restaurant reviews on Google, and they're all going to be lower than what the restaurant actually is. Like yeah. even a really good restaurant, um, because most of the people who have a really good experience about with it don't say anything. Don't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they might post something on Instagram. But they're not going to go out of their way to leave a review, make sure they get five stars. Mm. It's always the people who, you know, they waited too long, something was cold, whatever. And and it's the same thing with with ministry or even music a lot of times. Yeah. Of of you know, we've we've laughed many times of at at uh, at our flubs and it, and it's easy to do. Mm. Uh it's a lot harder to be like, Yeah, man, I killed that. <laughs> and, and and it's just rarer for people in the church to be like, yeah, man, you killed that sermon or Mm. you walked us through that situation really well or what have you. Well, I mean, you think about the apostle Paul who was dragged out of one city and stoned and thrown Mm -hmm. off a cliff. And then what does he do? He gets back up and he goes back in. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What drives a man to do that? It's, it's that, you know, he is, his eyes and his focus is on someone, yep, not yep. on all the things that tend to accompany ministry. And ministry is not all bad. I don't want to sound that way. I mean, it's like I, I, I have it is it is 
you know, it's one of the greatest joys of my life right. to pastor people. I, I, I love the church and the people of the church that I serve. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. But you do find yourself at times, I mean, the same Apostle Paul who got up after being stoned and thrown off a cliff, he comes into Corinth, and he's so agitated, he shakes out his garments and says, your blood be on your own heads. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And God and Jesus has to show up in a vision and say, don't stop, Paul. Mm-hmm. I have more people in this city. And, and, and so even the Apostle Paul needed that nudge from Jesus to keep going when he himself was abused. Right, right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So basically, don't give up on the church. No. Rely on God. What, what, what was the quote from Chesterton you said a while ago before oh, we hit record? Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Yeah, so let, let we can maybe extrapolate that a little bit and say, look, the church is worth it. Yeah. I heard a yeah. pastor say one time, the church is the hope of the world when it's working right. Yeah. The problem is, is that sometimes it doesn't work right, but that doesn't mean that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. It, it doesn't mean you, you just nuke the whole thing. That's and, right. And Jesus died for the church. He, he died to redeem a people and gather them to himself for his glory. And so with all of the potential abuse we might have to endure as leaders or congregates, it's worth it. Right. And um, we give ourselves to God and to his church. And if, if, we, if we endure wounds along the way, it's, it's worth it as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Yep. Awesome. Let's move on to the Inquisition then. And now we come to the Inquisition, where you torture us into confessing our answers. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) This is where you contribute to the show via a weekly post on Facebook with the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. You ask us questions, and we answer them with little to no preparation. As is tradition. <laughs> That's really emphasis on the no, yeah, as yeah. opposed to the little. Yeah, the little is the main topic. <laughs> the no <laughs> is this portion of the show. As is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, "What pedal should I buy next?" And Brian, I don't know what you have, so I can't really say. Just get a Geneva, be done with it. Um, I know you have all kinds of input on what kind of pedals he should he should buy. I concur. <laughs> Matt Paragoy, and we'll tweak this for you, Bradley, so you can actually uh, contribute to this one. He, he asks uh, if I use the same pedal board for church and my band or if I have separate boards. And personally, um, I just use one board. It's easier for me to keep up with. It's less expensive because mm. <laughs> I don't have to duplicate things. And um, with my with my hardcore band, I, we actually use a lot of delay and reverb and stuff like that. So I'm actually really using everything for uh, for both setups. Uh, there might be one or two um, one or two little exceptions here and there. I don't use my Osteen distortion very often here, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that would probably not go over very well. Um, but yeah, it's it's simpler for me it's a it's an enormous rig it's a pedal train pro it's 32 inches wide um but it's easier for me to do it that way and i enjoy it so uh bradley since you're a pastor do you use the same bible to preach out of that you read out of all the time um yes in in a way i i'm I'm a bit of a bible 
junkie in terms of I yeah. have a lot of them. Right. Uh, I like Bibles. Um, it, it, I, I hesitate to say I'm a collector. I'm not a collector, but I, I, I have a Bible that I preach with and mm-hmm. I do read it a lot. You know, right. I read it this morning, the same one I mm-hmm. took to the pulpit on Sunday. I read this morning and, um, but I do have a couple of other Bibles that I use for personal reading. I have a journaling Bible yep. uh, that I use quite a bit. It's it's actually the um, inductive um, journaling Bible, I think is what it's called. It's just the New Testament. Okay. It's a hardback, and there's everything's double-spaced. Oh, uh, yeah. And there's margin. Yeah. And so you can write all over that thing. And I use that a lot for mm-hmm. sermon prep and study. Um, there's another Bible that I have that I, I love and your dad actually, um, has one too. He showed it to me. It's the, uh, reader's Bible, the oh, yeah. reader's Bible that has yeah. no, no verse. No, it does have chapter numbers, but no chapter headings and no verse numbers. It's just, here you go. Have here fun. you go. And, and that's so helpful for just long reads. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. on my days off, I just want to grab my Bible and just read without, mm-hmm. I'm not drawing lines. I'm not anything like that. Um, so I do have a, a few that I use, but mm-hmm. um, I do read the one I preach with too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of the same way where <clears throat> my, my main Bible is an ESV journaling Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I bring to church. Uh, most of the time though, when I'm leading a discussion with small group, for example, I'll take my Ligonier Reformation study Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, just in case I missed something (laughs) and I can just pop down to the commentary. Oh, there's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, that's super convenient. Uh, that would probably not be a very good preaching Bible though, because there's so much stuff there. Yeah. Uh, that would be distracting. I would imagine. Yeah. My preaching Bible does not have any. I don't really have a Bible. I do have a Bible with comment. I have a I have a Reformation study Bible, but I don't use it much. Yeah. Um, every now and then I'll pick it up and see what Sproul had to say. But um, most none of my Bibles that I use mainly have commentary in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't use it. I don't use it as a crutch by any means. Yeah. Uh, that's that's one thing that people can get into pretty easily. Um, but for you know, like some of the weird stories in Genesis or something like that. Like it's helpful to understand the cultural background. Yeah. Um, and so like that's super helpful, at least for me. Uh, next question, Scott Hamilton says some quick backstory. I was leading a small group and decided not to return to leading it last summer as I was not in a place to lead after a series of events in my life outside of anything in the group. He says the group fell apart after that. And I've been hearing from a few guys, uh, in that group, lately that have in turn even left the church and blamed him for it. So this kind of fits in with our, uh, Hmm. with our main topic. He said the most vocal has been a difficult guy. uh, And we had multiple issues in and out of the group and even struggled with appropriate boundaries. He says he's left with a lot of guilt over this, but he's also struggling to come back from his own issues and don't feel like I can support a group like that. Again, he says the, to boil it down, the question is how do you manage the balance of your needs and the appropriate needs of others? How do you know the difference between your own selfishness and overly demanding people? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I, w- Here's what I would say is it it that's not one of those again it's it's not a question where you can just give a black and white formula every time yeah. this is what you do. 
what I what I would say is as a leader, I would not make that decision in isolation. Yeah. Um that there there needs to be trusted men, leaders in the church that um would help you make that decision. If you've got a if you've got a group of people that you are shepherding in one sense and leading, you know, it's not a small thing to say, I am just gonna be done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's possible that I could get to the point where I'm tired, I'm burnt out. Uh, there's something going on in my marriage that uh, I just don't feel like I have enough gas in the tank to keep leading this church. Right. And maybe I need an extended break or maybe I just need to do something else. Right. Uh, that decision can't just be made. And I'm not saying that this person did this. Right. But that that decision can't be made in isolation. I need to submit myself to, and I have men around me, mm-hmm. multiple men around me that could help make that decision and help navigate a transition that would minimize collateral damage. Um, yeah. in that, you know, because I, I, I'm of the school of thought that I have a responsibility to take care of or to, to monitor my own spiritual health. Yes. For my own sake, but also for the sake of what I, the responsibility I've been given with this church. Right. But I can't steward that responsibility by myself. Yeah. I have to have multiple elders around me. Mm -hmm. I have to have a man in my life that I look to as my pastor Mm -hmm. that I could go to and say, I need your help. Right. You know, and if you, if, if you're in that position, Mm -hmm. you as a, you as a small group leader in our church, yep. And you came to me and like, I am just done for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Well, at that point, um, if I determined that that is, you need a break big time, it would be my responsibility to make sure that those people that you've been shepherding and caring for are cared for. Right. Um, and yeah, sometimes people are going to be demanding and whatnot, but transitions that, you know, in my lifetime, these kinds of transitions, my experience with them, they've not been handled well. Yeah, more often than not, and a lot of times there is collateral damage from that. But you know, I I would say that you know at this point there needs to be some some help from leadership in the church to try to ha- help these people uh, assimilate back into the life of the church in some way. Yeah, and I think you know he asks about knowing the difference between being selfish or is this person being overly demanding. I think maybe a metric to use is: uh, are they causing you to neglect your your responsibilities that you have in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's probably an easy, simple place to start, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know if 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 they're causing you to show up for work late. <laughs> fairly consistently or or if you're not uh you know taking care of your kids or wife or whatever mm-hmm. um as as well as they need well then you need to take a step back and maybe address that right well yeah and i think i mean certainly you got to have healthy boundaries i mean demanding people i mean we've got demanding people in our church oh yeah that would absolutely dominate my time and i have to just set boundaries around that right and i just have to you know i have a good friend who says this all the time and i've just employed it in my own vocabulary knows a good answer right no i can't be there 
Right. No, I can't help you with that. Yeah. And you, you even told Kristen and me that when we were uh, put up as life group leaders. Is no is a good answer. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's perfectly acceptable to say no. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question. Bradley, this is one that you can chime in on, and I don't know how to answer this. So there you go. Um, Kyle Jackson says he's a new keyboard player. So what tips and tricks should he know other than acting like he doesn't have any idea how his in-ears work <laughs> or how the keyboard works, um, even though he's tried that before and it didn't really work? Uh, so your you're a keys guy. I think you were a keys guy before anything else. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what advice do you have for a new keys guy other than play really hard? <laughs> <laughs> don't, 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 don't mo- uh, model yourself after me in that regard. Um, I, I have heavy hands, but, um, you know, when, when I, I'm thinking back to when I was a new keys guy um, and I was in college and the, it's kind of a long story, but the, the really, really, really short version is that um, I got, I got tagged to be the new keys guy in the, the college choir mm-hmm. worship team that I was a part of yep. while I was a student. I got tagged sort sort of suddenly uh, the guy who was, my predecessor for the group um, got married one summer in between school years and resigned. And he was phenomenal, phenomenal keys player. And I got tagged and I really, I had no experience to speak of and playing with real musicians. And, And I remember the band full well that was in place. The bass player is a professional bass player today the drummer was a professional drummer for a period of time. Mm-hmm. The guitar player is, or I don't know if he still is, but he was a professional guitar. I mean, these are legit musicians. Yeah. And I felt like, I, I, you talk about feeling like you don't belong. You're in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, it just, and I remember one of the guitar players just telling me, look, what we need, we can handle all the fluffy stuff. Mm-hmm. You just give us the chords, and there is there is something to, and you, you know I'm a Bruce Hornsby fan. One of the things I learned, Tupac, what? Yeah, <laughs> one of the things I learned from Bruce Hornsby. And now I'm thinking more piano, and and I know that keys a lot of times, it, you know, it's 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 morphed in in modern church music to maybe some varieties of sounds and types of roles. But there is there is something to somebody being on a keys. And providing a good solid chord, right? You don't have to move around. You don't have to bounce on the quarter note. If all you do is hit a good solid chord with good voicing, I would work on the voicing of the chords. Mm. The okay. the don't just if it's for example to give a real simple example if it's C E and G is a C chord, right? Mm-hmm. Work on being able to voice that chord almost any way you want to, E G C. GCE, yeah. right? In that yeah. order, voicing those chords, learn to add little extra notes like the two or the nine, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the major seven when it's appropriate. Right. You don't all you don't want to overplay and add a bunch of notes here and there that aren't going to be helpful to the song. 
But if you can just get your voicing down and be able to voice the chord in a way that sounds good for that song. Yep. Right? Because yep. just changing the voicing sometimes can make a chord sound so rich and full that you can do nothing more than play, we call it diamonds. You just play the diamonds and the chord changes, mm-hmm. and you voice those chords in a way that adds a good layer of sound. Also think about your register. You know, yep. On some songs, the guitar guys are going to be just killing the mid-range. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, and it's a maybe a, a, a guitar-driven song that, doesn't really need a lot from me. What I'll do is I'll just move up into an upper register. If I hear a lot of mids and lows, yep. I'll just move up into an upper register. So otherwise, you're just duplicating. That's right. And, things and just up. add sound. And I might do nothing more than just hit the chords. Make yeah. the chord changes, but I'm in an, a register that adds another layer that contributes. If, if, mm-hmm. if you're new, I would say think about where you're playing register-wise relative to the rest of the sound. Get your voicing down. And just focus on playing good chords and let the rest come later. Let the let the guitar guys and and perhaps the more experienced musicians add the the icing. You be the yep. cake. Yep. And you'll you'll be a solid contributor. Cause I, I'll say that I know I'm going too long, but I've never been a guy that is gonna impress you with licks. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna get on the keys and just go crazy and you're gonna be like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe he did that. Yep. He's playing some crazy scale I, that's just not me but what i do is i play really good solid chords mm-hmm. and i'm on time and i know the chord changes yep and i i provide a, a, almost a foundation for guys like you to add the gravy yeah you know um so that would be my advice yeah good stuff all right controversial question time and this is our last question uh ryan eigel <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Asks, why does the thought of theonomy make evangelicals twitch, <laughs> but they're willing to embrace just about every made-up, ever-changing lifestyle and blasphemy law that secular culture throws at them? <laughs> so, read that question again. So, basically, why why do evangelicals really squirm when things like theonomy are brought up. So theonomy being the law of God being brought to bear in a society Mm -hmm. as the basis for that, for its laws. Right. right? And, and recognizing that blasphemy laws exist regardless of the culture, including in a secular culture, which Mm -hmm. is what you see with things like the equality act Mm -hmm. where, where if you blaspheme the secular gods of LGBT, then you get in trouble with the state, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so why is it, and, and obviously this is a, a big debate, so granted on, on that end, mm-hmm. um, between theonomy, two kingdoms, whatever, um, why is it that evangelicals often, um, if they haven't thought it through, kind of start squirming when theonomy is brought up? <sighs> I, th- I think... Go ahead. I think it, at least partially, because the default in American Christianity is anti antinomianism. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. we don't like the law of God. We think it's bad, even though Paul says no, the the law is holy and righteous and good, right? Um, but even like you look at Deuteronomy four, um, God 
through Moses is saying, hey, like every nation is going to look at you and be like, oh my goodness, they're just like this country is amazing. They treat everyone well. Everything's going awesome over there. The, the, everything's equitable, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's what I think of. I think maybe where a lot of people start squirming is they think, uh, in that debate, wherever you fall, what theonomy ends up being is, well, we're just going to whole hog, take the law and plop it down on America, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which isn't the argument. Right. As I understand it. Um, because, you know, regardless of what laws you have, there will be a morality imposed. Right. Laws against murder are imposed morality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it just comes down to which morality are we going to impose Yeah, is the argument. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for me, um, when you start talking about theonomy, um, I mean, you, you, in some ways we have to sort of recognize that there is a level of theonomy and post millennial theology. I mean, that's where, that's where this is all going. And ultimately it is like, regardless of whether you're a meal, post meal, pre meal, it's the kingdoms of this earth will be the kingdoms of our God. And, and everything's going to be under his rule. The kingdom has come near. (laughs) There you go. You got theonomy, right? There you go. You got theonomy. (laughs) I think for me, the question is, how's that going to happen? Right. And what is our responsibility as the church and not responsibility? What is our current participation with Christ in that ultimate goal? Because I right. think we would all agree that is where we're going. Right. And and everyone would agree, except for like the goofiness involved with like the NAR. Um, it's never top down. It's never just put out a candidate and they're gonna top down influence the culture politics is always downstream from the culture yeah yeah whether it's trump or biden or harris or ted cruz or whoever they are downstream from what the people wanted yeah and and you look at like among the prominent dare dare we say christian leaders that were supportive of trump you know publicly and even on his whatever boy howdy council uh a lot of those people were NAR, yeah, or heavily influenced by NAR, or, or at the very least, word of faith. It was, it, yes, yeah, and, and that to me is what among thinking Christians in America would scare them when you start to talk about theonomy. Right, is that there is yeah. this, this, I don't know what the right word is. There's there's a there's a tangent in evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. that. Um, it's going about that or, or pursuing that ultimate goal or thinking about it in, in the wrong way. It, yeah. It's it's just not right. And that I think is scary for people. Cause I, I mean, I, I went up, I grew up in, or I came into to ministry hearing a lot of talk about the seven mountains and was it yeah. seven or nine, seven, yeah. seven mountains, all that jazz. And th- that stuff just gets really weird and whacked. And you'd never see, there's no precedent in the new Testament for, I mean, the Apostle Paul never wrote or led the church in a direction of a hostile takeover. Right, exactly. And, and you know, you, you have to look at how he dealt with Philemon and um, even how he talked about slavery and other things that um, to realize that this is very much going to be a ground up, not a yeah. top down kind of thing 
where we end up ultimately at theonomy. Yeah, and, and you in, you even see that in <clears throat> the parable of the mustard seed, where it's it's a slow growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts with this tiny little seed, and eventually, mm-hmm. you have this huge tree that birds come and nest in. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's not it's not just like a hey, let's go make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. It's well, I think you know one of the things that you've challenged me on <clears throat> just with some of your um your post mill thoughts mm-hmm. has been this expectation of are we gonna win? Like is there is right. there a winning attitude in yeah. the church? You know, yes, I, I I do believe God uses pain. And I talk I was on the phone with someone at six AM this morning encouraging them in their pain that God is using this. It's not wasted. It's yep. going to be fruitful. It's yep. gonna produce victory Mm-hmm. Not just in your life personally, but it's going to be fruitful in the kingdom. Right. So there, there, that even in our pain and suffering, there is this expectation of winning, that God's going to win in yep. this. All things work together for good. And you've challenged me on that. I, you, you sent me something the other day, and I wrote you back and said, I'm now I'm going to go write a hundred times on the blackboard. I will not become post mill because, you know, because it, it, there, that's the part of post mill theology yeah. that's intriguing to me is yeah. that. I don't think we should be scared of God's rule. I, I don't think I've sent you uh, James White's uh, post mill coming out sermon yet, have I? No, I have. Oh, no, uh-uh. mm. That was what you sent me with some other James White thing. Yeah. But. Well, well, he he preached a sermon coming out officially as post mill. Oh yeah. Like here's and here's how I got there. Big surprise. You there. might have to write it two hundred times on the blackboard this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, what I'll say is that we we shouldn't we shouldn't be scared of God's rule. Right. For Jesus yeah. to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he talking about? God's rule yeah. is coming. That, it has come near and it's still coming. That Isaiah 9, the increase of his, his government, government will be. never end. Yeah. Right. That's right. And and that started at a point in time. It does it's not just a, oh hey, snap your fingers and here it is. Yeah. It's been a an increase since then. There are more there are more Christians in the world today mm. than there were people in the world at the crucifixion. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> well, and, and it, it's, it's, it's sad to me and we ought to be, you know, um, we, we ought to be mindful of this is, is, you know, Satan doesn't print $6 counterfeit bills. And so right. you have this, these things like the NAR and word of faith movement that really, I don't know. They sabotage in some way yeah. oh, a healthy yeah. biblical mindset about theonomy and about God's rule in his kingdom. And it, that that's tragic. And we, right. we need it, it might be four clicks off, one and a half clicks off, ten clicks off. But we need to we need to be aiming for the bullseye here on yeah. what it means for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Share the show. Follow us, Facebook and Instagram, at Westminster Effects. And make sure to submit quotes and all that good stuff. I never know how to close these out. I really need to just have a script. (laughs) See you, everybody. See you, everybody. (laughs)